Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses. I've raised millions of pounds of investment and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice and everything else you need to know to start, scale and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Nine out of ten times, a larger HMO is going to make more money than a small HMO. Makes sense. There are more rooms to monetize. And in an economy like this, where profits are getting squeezed left, right and center, the temptation is, even for newbie investors, to invest and focus efforts on larger HMOs. But the truth is, nine out of the ten things that we really ought to be considering when we are investing in HMOs don't appear on the spreadsheet. And today, what I want to do is talk to you about some of these things to perhaps remind you of some of the great benefits of actually investing in smaller HMOs, even in an economy like this. So if you're not sure what to do next, if you're unsure what you should be investing in, today's episode is definitely for you. Today, I'm going to talk you through nine things, nine reasons, nine great benefits to investing in small HMOs. Please stick around and enjoy today's episode of the HMO Podcast. guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Okay, welcome back. So today I want to talk to you about nine reasons why I think investing in small HMOs is still such a fantastic idea. Nine things that don't sit on the spreadsheet, nine things that we don't always think about when we're planning to make our next investment. Now, Look, I get it. When things are getting squeezed, when interest rates are going up, when labour and maintenance are going up, when utility and running costs are all going up, it's getting more and more difficult to make the same amount of money from our properties. So the temptation is to focus on those bigger properties where it's easier to monetize those additional rooms, where you've got that economies of scale. But there's a lot of stuff that doesn't appear on the spreadsheet that we must always be thinking about when it comes to investing in HMOs. HMOs are complicated. HMO property businesses are complicated. It's got to be about more than just the maths. It's got to be about more than what's just on the spreadsheet. So today, what I want to do is remind you of some of the great benefits of investing in small HMOs and perhaps why actually focusing your efforts and your time and your attention on small HMOs, particularly if you are just getting started, could be a much better way forward for you. Now, my caveat to today's episode is that given the choice, like if I could only choose one HMO or one type or size of HMO that I could invest in, this is all my portfolio could be made up of and all I could continue to buy. I would choose a six bed. Be- 
Because for me, the six-bed HMOs are the sweet spot. It's where I get the very best bang for my buck. And I consider the effort and time and resource and capital that has to go into it versus what comes out of the back end, including what I have to put into it to maintain that management, monitoring my properties. For me, six beds just work the best. So that's the caveat. And what I'm not trying to do today is convince you that you should invest in smaller HMOs over larger HMOs. But what I want to do is just remind you of some of the really, really, really great benefits of investing in small HMOs. And particularly for those people just getting started or at the earliest stages of building their portfolios that can see the money is better in the six and seven and eight bed HMOs and perhaps forget about some of these really good benefits of small HMOs. So today, I just want to remind you, I want to show you there are lots of great reasons why you would still absolutely invest in small HMOs. Small and large HMOs, in all honesty, are different beasts. A four bed HMO versus an eight bed HMO we're talking about apples and oranges. They are so different in so many ways. So we really do have to see and understand that while they're all HMOs, they operate and behave very, very differently, both from sort of an investment point of view, but also when we're considering what's involved from us as investors. Let's get stuck into these nine points then. The very first one that I want to talk about is finance. A small HMO is quite simply much easier to get finance on. There are just a lot more lenders in the market who are happy to lend on smaller HMOs. The bigger that HMO gets, the fewer lenders you'll find in the market. What this means is because there are more lenders, and this brings me straight on to my second point, the finance is often cheaper. So because there are more lenders out there and there are more products, there's more competition and that drives the price down. Now, don't get me wrong, of course, we all know that interest rates are going up right now as I'm recording this episode, but that's the truth, that's reality. There are more mortgage lenders out there, there are more people happy to lend on smaller HMOs, this means there are lots of products out there, this helps drive the price down. But also because it's a simpler product, because there's much less risk, rates can be cheaper. Lenders can quite simply afford to give you a cheaper rate. Even some of the mainstream lenders like Santander have been in this market before. And the reason is they don't really consider a HMO to be a HMO until it has five rooms. They know it's a HMO. So if you're applying for one of these products, you still absolutely have to tell them it's a HMO and they have to know and they're expecting that when they send the surveyor out. But at three and four bedrooms, they're still very much, certainly for a lot of lenders, consider it residential, like kind of standard. And this means that you tend to find the rates are around standard residential mortgage rates, which is great. And it means it's much, much cheaper. The real jump in rates starts to happen at the five beds. You know, as soon as that licensing is required, it becomes a bit more technical, a bit more specialised. And that spooks some lenders. Some lenders just don't really get it. And that's why there are fewer lenders at that level. That's why interest rates are higher as soon as you sort of hit the five bed mark. So you'll find that some of the mainstream lenders are happy to lend on three and four beds on what they call their HMO products, but they're still very much around sort of residential rates. Don't ask me or don't get me to quote on what they are today, but I've got some myself, very, very cheap, much cheaper than my five, six, seven bed HMOs. And some of my investment clients have got some on some really, really cracking deals. So there are the first two points. First of all, it's much easier to get finance on a small HMO. And then secondly, small HMOs are just going to be much cheaper to finance. Number three, then small HMOs are a lot easier to convert back. Now I like this one. One of my I suppose mantras, one of my sort of investment criteria has always been, I want to be able to turn my HMOs back into residential accommodation easily. If something happened, the university closed down, or I needed to get out of the market in a rush, something else happened, I would want to know that I can convert my 
HMO back to residential accommodation and sell it to the open market if I needed to. In reality, most of what I buy is valued higher on its bricks and mortar as opposed to its commercial sort of a rental income status. Now, that's not the case for everybody, but I just like having that as a backup option. For me, it's just another way to de-risk my portfolio. And I really, really like that. You know, if I was in a rush, I'd want to know that I'm not, you know, got a bit of a disaster on my hand because I've got en suites in every single bedroom. With a smaller HMO, it's just more difficult to over-commercialise it. It's really difficult to turn it into quite a commercialised building. And that, for me, is a real bonus, and that should be a real bonus for you. It's easier to just convert back onto the residential market. Look, if you try this and it doesn't quite work, or if you try it and it's your first or second project and you didn't quite get the numbers right, and it just doesn't work as a HMO, it's not the end of the world. You could put it back let it as a single let or even sell it back to the single let or to the residential market. So for me, that's a real benefit. Number four, small HMOs honestly cost a lot less to run. Now, I want to be careful when I sort of describe this point or sort of outline what I mean here. When it comes to utilities, yes, the physical amount is less because you've got less people in using less electricity and it's probably going to be a smaller property. So it's going to cost less to heat and power. But there is a scale of economies at hand for every additional person you get. It's not like the price goes up in the exact same increments. An eight bed doesn't cost twice as much to run as a four bed, for example, but it is physically cheaper to run. And that I think right now is really important. When we're thinking about risks and overheads like any other business, actually, it's important to understand where we're going to be, where our operational costs are, what could happen, let's say utility rates in April suddenly jump and spike again. Well, actually, I'd probably prefer to know that I've got a four bed where, okay, maybe it costs me a little bit per person to run, but actually isn't going to go up dramatically because I'm just, I've got that kind of scale of economies working against me, which it actually can do if, if costs really start to go up. So for me, that ability to to run and operate small HMOs at a much lower cost is quite an attractive benefit. You know, sometimes I look at our maintenance bills every month and it's not the three and four bed HMOs that are costing a lot to maintain. It's always the six bed plus HMOs. That's what costs a lot of money. You know, the showers, they get a lot of battering. The carpets, the door handles, the kitchens, they all get a lot of battering. And I think what you also find is that because you have more people in a small environment, there's less responsibility, less accountability in big HMOs. And there's definitely an element of management there. And that's a point we're going to come on to. But for me, I just find that it does cost substantially less. Like I'm often surprised when I see some maintenance bills coming in for my small HMOs, for my four bed HMOs. And I really like that. It makes it very, very easy to run. So that's the fourth point. It physically costs you a lot less to run a small HMO. Number five, then. Small HMOs cost less to buy. It depends where you are in the country and it depends exactly what you're buying. But generally speaking, and one of the ways I always like to look at what I'm buying is by breaking it down on a per room basis. Generally speaking, we're paying about 60 to 70,000 per room now. So four bed, 240,000. And if you add an additional room, that's an extra 60 or 70,000. Add another room, it's an extra 60 or 70,000. It physically costs you more to buy that bigger property. Now, again, it's not an exact science, but generally speaking, as a general rule, we can expect that it's going to cost us quite a bit more. And in fact, it should cost us more. But you'd want a small HMO with fewer rooms to cost you less. It's going to cost more to buy a bigger HMO. Now, if you're just getting started, if preserving your capital is important, or if you're just working with a limited amount of capital, then it makes sense to perhaps 
acknowledge that it's going to be easier to buy a small HMO. There's nothing wrong with that. I started buying small HMOs. I didn't start buying seven and eight bed HMOs. So for me, that's a real benefit. It reduces that barrier to entry. It just makes it that little bit easier to get into the market in the first place. And not just that, you know, by the time you've bought it, then you've got less property inside. You know, you've got less square footed, you've got less walls, you've got fewer doors. All of this costs less to refurbish as well. So actually getting into the deals in the first place is much easier because you need less capital. The barrier to entry is a lot lower. And actually, a lot of people really grapple with this because they are quite focused on the numbers at the back end, trying to maximise the rental income. And we still should do that, but the six and the seven beds and that, that focus on the amount of money that they can generate as opposed to the fours often delays people and actually prevents people even getting into the market in the first place because those bigger properties, that space that you need to make those bigger HMOs and have more people in that house, it just costs more. And all of a sudden, it requires more capital that you've got to raise. All of a sudden, it costs more to get your finance. All of a sudden, it costs more to do the refurbishment. And actually, it can jump quite quickly. Now, a property that looks quite easy to get into, something that maybe gives you the capacity for two or three additional rooms, all of a sudden, is much, much, much more expensive. And that, for a lot of people, can be a real hindrance. It can really, really slow them down. And I've seen examples of where people have tried to do this and been trying desperately to make the sort of bigger HMOs work and actually ended up not investing in anything for over a couple of years until eventually they realised, oh, yeah, I'll just get a small HMO and get on, get on my way, get a property under my belt. So that for me, just the fact that it costs a lot less to buy and then a lot less to refurbish is really, really quite attractive. Number six then, small HMOs are easier to fill. You've got fewer rooms. That's one of the reasons. You've physically got less rooms to fill, so you don't need to manage as many adverts. You're going to naturally have a reduced turnover. You're not going to have as many tenants churning. But one of the reasons I often find for this is the more rooms you have, the more reluctance you'll find from other tenants to want to live in there. I know we all bang on about this community co-living kind of thing. And yes, we should all be trying to do that and install that sort of type of living into our properties. But most of us would prefer to live with perhaps three people as opposed to five or six or seven people that don't know. It's a little bit different in the student market. I tend to find that the sweet spot for sort of filling rooms or filling properties is the five bed in the student lets. But... In the professional market, certainly, it's much, much easier. There's much less friction. The obstacle for tenants to overcome living with several strangers is just much easier to deal with. So smaller HMOs make that a lot easier. It's easier to fill rooms. So for me, that's a biggie. Number seven, then. And I think this is one of the biggest ones. And it's the one that everybody forgets to think about. Small HMOs are just much easier to manage, and I mean exponentially easier to manage. A five bed isn't just a little bit more difficult than a four bed to manage, and a six bed isn't just a little bit more difficult than a five bed to manage, and seven beds and eight beds. The gap, the jump between rooms, four to five, it's not a huge gap, but five to six, a little bit bigger. Six to seven, it's quite a bit bigger. Seven to eight, it's a lot bigger. The difference is massive, and your involvement from a managerial point of view, is quite substantial. Now, whether you're doing it or whether somebody else is doing it, you're ultimately the landlord. You're going to own this property. You're the investor. It's your asset. You're ultimately going to be responsible. And all of these things, like the fact that they cost more to run, there's going to be more maintenance and all of this stuff to deal with means that you're going to have a lot more to consider, even if you're not managing it directly. If you are managing it directly, then you're going to have a lot to consider and a lot to actually do and action and take care of. So for me, 
the managerial aspect, and that is quite encompassing. We're talking about filling rooms. We're talking about chasing tenants for rent. We're talking about administration. We're talking about maintenance. We're talking about dealing with problems and intra-house conflicts, all of this stuff. And there's a lot of stuff. It's just much, much easier with small HMOs. Four beds, honestly, absolute breeze. Piece of cake, four beds, student HMOs. You can literally put your feet up, go and live on a beach if you want. They are that easy. They're as close to passive income as I think you'll find in our industry. Eight beds, forget it. Eight beds can be monsters. And it's just so much easier for one tenant to sort of worm their way into your property and just be a problem. Despite all your vetting and your best efforts, that one person can cause a huge disruption in the house. In a four bed, the risk is literally half that of of happening. And the implications of that happening are much, much smaller as well. You, You haven't got seven other upset tenants to deal with. You've got three. So for me, this managerial piece, the fact that small HMOs are just so much easier to manage is absolutely massive. And honestly, for me, when I talk about bang for buck and getting what I think is the sweet spot, the, sort of the intersection, the just right in terms of what's involved and what comes out of the deal. For me, this is, this is the main ingredient. Number eight then, small HMOs don't need a license. Now, the caveat here is that some small HMOs do actually need a license if there's selective licensing or additional licensing. And <laughs> I don't want to get into that in today's episode, but if that is in place, then you are still going to have to have a license. But certainly, as soon as you're at five, we're into mandatory licensing, and then you've got to jump through all the hoops of whatever your local council and obviously the national guidelines require you to have. And that can be quite laborious. It can be quite expensive if you're just getting started. It can be quite confusing. It really can be. The difference is between cohesive and non-cohesive. And if you're sort of thinking, what the F are you talking about right now, Andy? What is cohesive and non-cohesive? That's my point exactly. And it, it is quite complicated. So for me, four beds, piece of cake. You don't have to worry about licensing on the most parts. Just make sure you do check that there isn't an additional selective licensing process. If you are buying a four bed, HMO somewhere. But that for me is massive. You don't have to pay renewal license fees. You don't have to get inspected. You don't have to go through all that rigmarole. So for me, that's another key point. Finally, number nine. The last thing that I wanted to share with you today, and I said None of these exist on the spreadsheet. Small HMOs don't need planning permission. Now, granted, if, and again, another caveat, if this HMO is in an area where there's an Article 4 direction, you will need planning permission. And I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of Article 4 directions and planning permission, but if it's a small HMO and there's an Article 4 direction in place, you will still need planning permission, or at least have planning permission by virtue of either a certificate of lawfulness or grandfather rights. But what I'm talking about here is eight beds, When you get into eight beds, so anything above seven, when you do an eight bed, we're into the realms of sui generis. And that is a very large HMO. And we need planning permission no matter where we are in the country for an eight bed HMO. I see a lot of people chasing eight bed HMOs because the numbers can look really, really great. But getting an eight bed HMO through planning, finding a deal and taking that risk or structuring that deal, getting the finance in place to do that, getting through planning, and certainly in areas where there's a lot of contention from local residents. And I've seen this happen time and time again. This is really, really tough. And for me, absolutely not a place where you want to start if you're just getting involved. Even if you've got a lot of capital to invest, I really would strongly suggest you start with much smaller HMOs. I'm really not a big fan of eight bed HMOs full stop. I'm really not a fan of applying for sui generis. I certainly, personally, wouldn't buy anything C3 
So a residential dwelling, a normal dwelling house, if you like, that would be the planning status and go straight to Sui Generis, eight beds. For me, I just wouldn't do it. I would much prefer to go to seven, under permitted development, assuming there's no Article 4 direction, convert it, get my use established and then go in for a non-material change of use from C4 to Sui Generis. At that point, I'm only trying to convince the council of one additional room. It's much less contentious, much easier for me. I've always been successful doing that. That's always my advice to my mentees and people I work with and anyone who asks me on this point. Not everyone does it like that. And of course, you can go straight from C3 to Sui Generis and get that application and planning permission approved. But most of the time, in all honesty, it's not that easy. You need to be making sure you're either working with the right people or you do really understand what you're doing, or ideally, both. So there we go, guys. Nine things. Let's recap. First of all, small HMOs are just easier to get finance on. Great. Love that. Number two, a small HMO will be cheaper to finance. It's physically going to cost us less on the mortgage or development finance, whatever it's going to be. Number three, a smaller HMO is going to be easier to convert back to a normal residential house. That's nice to have that peace of mind if anything happened, if we changed our mind or it didn't work. Number four, small HMOs physically cost less to run. Number five, a small HMO costs less to buy and costs less to refurbish. Number six, small HMOs are much, much easier to fill and keep filled. Number seven, small HMOs are easier to manage. For me, that's the biggest and most important one here. Number eight, small HMOs don't need a license. The caveat is obviously if you're in a selective or additional licensing scheme or an area under that sort of control, you will need it. But generally speaking, small HMOs under five beds don't need a license. That's great. And finally, number nine, a small HMO doesn't need planning permission. Again, the caveat is it will still need planning permission if it's in an Article 4 direction, but eight beds will always need planning permission no matter where you are. Threes, fours, fives, sixes, sevens. So long as there's no Article 4 direction, it's permitted. You can still go and do it. And that isn't going to be around forever, guys. So if you're looking at an area where that's still a possibility and the HMO model is going to work really well because you've got a good tem- demographic and your numbers do stack up, I would still really make sure you take advantage of this because honestly, I don't think that permitted development rights to go from C3 to C4, so a normal dwelling house to small HMO are going to exist forever. So there we are, nine reasons why I think small HMOs are still fantastic. Nine reasons why I think anybody, certainly anybody just getting started or at the early stages of building their HMO portfolio should consider investing in small HMOs to begin with. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Please don't take everything I've said at face value and in black and white. And of course, there are variations to this as well. You know, not every small HMO is easier to manage. It really depends on your tenant demographic. Not every small HMO is cheaper to buy. It depends on where you're buying or the type of property that you're buying. Not every small HMO is cheaper to refurbish. Of course, it depends on what's going inside the property. So these are just general rules and general guidelines, but they are general. A generalized, but I hope that helps. I honestly think small HMOs are fantastic. I'm going to keep buying them. I plan to continue buying them. They're just so easy for so many reasons. All of these reasons I've highlighted today. And in reality, I gave, I said at the beginning, if I was only allowed to pick one type of HMO, it would be a six bed HMO because for me, that's the sweet spot. But the good news is we don't have to just pick one. And for me, balance is key. It's really important if you're going to build a portfolio to have some smaller and some larger HMOs. So you may as well get started with those smaller HMOs in the first place. Build your skill, build your experience, build your confidence, get that proof of concept. That's great. You can take that to your investors. You can use that to develop your model off the back of your brand and your whole sort of design schemes. For me, that's a great way to build a business. 
That's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I have encouraged a few people to reconsider small HMOs. Now, don't forget that I'm on hand over in the HMO community. It's our free group on Facebook. Well over 5,000 people in there now. And you can come and ask me for guidance and support and ask our members in there who are fantastic and highly experienced and very, very friendly. It's a great place to come and hang out and find out more about what we do in the HMO space, what we can do, how we can improve our businesses. And I know I'm biased, but honestly, we are unquestionably the best and friendliest and most supportive property community, certainly for HMO property investors in the online space. So make sure you come and join if you haven't already. Now, if you want to take things a step further, if you're really serious about building your HMO property business, then you need to head straight to the HMO roadmap and get yourself signed up as a member so that you can take advantage of all of the incredible benefits waiting inside. You'll find my 60 lesson course helping you find more deals, fund more deals, fix and refurbish your properties, keep your properties filled and get into flow when it comes to everything you need to know with regards to property management. You'll find all the downloadable resources, the templates, the worksheets and cheat sheets that you can download and use in your business today. You'll find expert masterclasses from fantastic people doing incredible things in our industry. You'll find dozens and dozens of incredibly inspiring case studies and so much more. I could go on and on and on and on and on, but I won't because I know you've heard it all before. Just make sure you go and check it out. And finally, before we go, guys, please, 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 if you've got 30 seconds to spare, do leave a quick review of the show. It helps so much. Thank you so much to everybody who has left a review already. It means more than you could possibly know. You can leave a review on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts now. It helps me continue to bring great guests onto the show and helps us continue to spread the message about what we're all doing and all the great work that you guys in our community are doing in the HMO space. That's it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And don't forget that I'll be right back here next time in the very same place. So please join me then for another installment of the HMO podcast. 